Hello and welcome back to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. And we come to you today with an emergency podcast that just happens to be at the same time as a regularly scheduled podcast. Write this date down in history. Wednesday, November 11th, 2020, AZ Fudd announced her commitment to UConn. She did so on ESPN's Instagram Live. So, I've decided that I will be attending, next four years, the University of Connecticut. She picked UConn over UCLA. Megan, we honestly should have known when the Instagram live started and she says, yeah, I'm sitting here with my dog, Stewie. Yeah. I feel like we should have known when we got on. I like <laughs> sat there and was like, yes, there's a dog named Stewie. And then it was like, nope, just don't know. Sat there anxiously for five more minutes until she made the actual announcement. <laughs> but um, obviously a huge deal for you guys, right? Like everything that everyone said about her is like Paige has been, you know, the best recruit since Brianna Stewart or, or Asia Wilson, depending who you talk to. And then Ozzy's just or AC's just supposed to be even better so a huge gift for them like I don't really have the words yet but it's like Dynasty 2.0 like it's gonna be like the Brianna Story era they just are gonna be absolutely loaded with talent and as you said like these are supposed to be two generational talents it's all kind of hearsay because there's differing views but the general consensus is Paige and AZ are at least as good as each other and Paige was supposed to be as good as Stewie and Asia, as you said. I heard that Paige is really good, but AZ is way better, which is just really, really incredible. So the fact that they can possibly get two generational talents in the same or in back-to-back years, that kind of feels similar to them getting Sue Bird one year. And then I think it was two years later, they got Diana, but even that was separated by two years. I think it's fair to say that with Brianna Stewart, it was pretty much Brianna Stewart that was the generational player. And then Mariah Jefferson and Morgan Tuck, while both obviously all Americans and really, really good, they weren't that same level as Stewie, as Diana, as Maya Moore, just that top, top player. And I think it's just really exciting that Paige and AZ have the ability to be on the same team and have that potential. Yeah, I feel like the closest comparison you could make, and it's a little bit different because they're front court players, but it's basically like if Asia Wilson committed to UConn mm-hmm. instead of South Carolina, and you had the the, the like dominance of Stewie, and then added Asia Wilson to that on top of it. Like, I mean, no one touched them anyway, but really, no one would have touched them if that had happened. UConn's never gonna get every single recruit they want, but the fact that they got these two, there really isn't a whole lot more that you can ask of them. Yeah, and I think it's funny, too, because what was it, a year ago, two years ago, when they hadn't won a national championship in two years? Oh, no, like everyone was talking about, like, <laughs> is the UConn dynasty over? Gino can't recruit anymore. It's a really bad day for those people. Well, in fairness, like, I, I, the take that the dynasty was over was always completely overblown, but things didn't exactly look rosy around when Paige Becker's committed. I have my scholarship grid ahead of me, and... There are a lot of open roster spots. So at the time Paige committed, a year and a half ago, Aubrey Griffin was the only player in her class. There was no Anna Makarat yet. Avina Westbrook hadn't showed up yet. Obviously, Paige was the first recruit in the 2020 class. No 2021 commits, no 2022 commits. So since then, UConn has brought in, as I mentioned, Avina, Anna, and then Aaliyah Edwards, Piaf Gabriel, Mir McLean, Nika Mule, Amari DeBerry, Caroline Ducharme, 
AZ, Sailor Poffenbarger, and Izuna Brady, who are all very highly regarded prospects, probably without, except for maybe Piath Gabriel, who is still basically just a lottery ticket. And that's more than acceptable to bring in when finding bigs that are tall and strong are kind of rare nowadays. And UConn struggled to find those players to begin with. So they just have such a ridiculous amount of talent. And that scholarship grid is completely filled up now. They, with AZ, now they only have one scholarship spot open and they have 15 players on the roster if you include Autumn Chasson. So they just have depth at pretty much every single position. And it's not just bodies at those positions. They have legitimate talent that in pretty much every single class at every position, it's just an incredible recruiting job by Gino and his staff. For sure. When you look at the roster for like next season, the 2021-2022 season, it's just insane. You're going to have Kristen and Olivia as seniors and then, you know, Anna and Aubrey in that junior class. But then you've got this whole class of freshmen that will be sophomores. And then a really, I think it's now the number one recruiting class in the country coming in. It has to be. Freshmen. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I saw that on Twitter that adding AZ officially makes it the number one class. So all top 30 recruits there. So um yeah, just like an insanely stacked roster. Right. They return, assuming no one transfers or Avina doesn't leave early, they'll return the exact same team they have this year, next year, plus adding in that number one recruiting class. It's just, they are so deep. And I've said this a couple times, but even if you take out Paige and AZ, they still would probably be one of the better teams in the country over the next few years because they have a lot of talent beyond just those top players. Like, obviously, Aliyah Edwards is already drawing comparisons to Nafisa Collier. Nika Mule's gotten really, really high praise as a point guard. Amari DeBerry, Carolyn Ducharme are both top-ranked prospects. Sailor Poffenbarger, I read today, is supposed to be a really good role player. So you've already got a really good base of players, and the players need to develop to get to this point. But I think you kind of look at that 2017, 18 team, the second year after Stewie graduated, where you had a bunch of really, really good players like Nafisa Collier, Katie Lou Samuelson, Azrae Stevens, Kia nurse, Gabby Williams, crystal Dangerfield. but there really wasn't any superstar on that team. And they were still good enough to get to the final four and be one shot away from essentially winning the national championship. Now, if you have a similar base like that, but you're adding in two superstars and AZ and Paige. And I also think that Kristen Williams can be a superstar. I feel like the spotlight on her is kind of dimmed a little bit after her sophomore year, but her first year, I really felt like she was going to be one of the best players in the country eventually. So I wouldn't even sleep on her either. So it's just, I don't know how anyone can stop UConn for at least the next two, three, four seasons. It's when Gino has the most talent in the country, he wins the national championship every single time, every single time. That's why he has 11 titles. Yep. Totally agree with that. And also really agree with your point on Kristen Williams. I don't expect to see her on any like preseason All-American list, but I actually would be kind of surprised if by the end of the season, she's not on her All-American list. Um, I think, you know, like you said, kind of after her sophomore year, which was just good, not great. Kind of people have moved that spotlight off of her, but I think from everything she said kind of heading into the season, she's definitely ready to move back into that spotlight and most likely will. 
Yeah, I think if they don't win the national championship next year in 2021, 2022 with that roster, like, it's a big upset. Like, I can't imagine what team is going to have a kind of stronger cast to put up against them. Right. Not, not only win a national championship, that team shouldn't lose a game. Right. Even if you lose Avina to the WNBA, you still have Nika and Page as backup point guards that are going to be in their second year. And then, obviously, AZ coming in, too. They just they're going to be able to attack you from so many ways. And then with Olivia anchoring the post and then Aubrey playing defense. And then obviously we'll see what everyone else on the roster is going to be like defensively. But those are two extremely tough defensive players to try and get past. And basically you only need the rest of the players on the court to be adequate defensively. And you'll be a really, really good defensive team. So yeah, I, I think, the sky is the limit for the next few years. And I think we could be looking at some of the most talented rosters that UConn's ever had. And that's saying something considering the players that have come through UConn. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we can look at back at that like 2016 national championships roster. I think virtually every player on that roster other than like one or two got drafted to the WNBA. It was just like an insanely deep roster of players. Um, and the vast majority of them are still playing in the WNBA. So this kind of feels, I mean, obviously it's way too early to tell, but this kind of feels like a similar type roster. Right. It's always the qualifier with recruiting. If things work out, mm-hmm. obviously you can never predict injuries. Some players just don't mesh in UConn's program and they end up leaving. Some players just don't pan out. Like I keep pointing back to the 2017 class, which was number one class in the country not a single player is still with the program in what would be their senior years. Obviously, Megan Walker was an All-American last year and left early for the WNBA, but the other three players didn't do anything. So that was obviously a pretty big disappointment. The sunset years of his career are still going to be pretty dominant, not like someone like Pat Summit who kind of faded out at the end. Gino is going out with a bang. Oh, yeah, with a, definitely a few more national championship rings as oh, well. Yeah. Yeah, there's no way he retires having only 11 national championships. I, What would you set the over-under at for how many you think he's going to win? I think I somewhere like, – like I feel like anything less than like 14 would kind of be a disappointment, and I know that sounds really obnoxious, but that's just – when you look at the rosters that they're going to have the next few years, and they only have one player committed in the 2022 class too, so – they could even add some more elite talent in that group with it. And they already have one really good player in Izuna Brady. So I just can't imagine this group over the next few years, only winning one, even just two national championships. And again, I know that sounds obnoxious, but just from what we have seen from this program for the last 25 years, Gino doesn't mess around when he has this type of talent. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think, Obviously, you have to caveat it with, like, we haven't actually seen Paige or AZ play a <laughs> college game yet, but assuming they live up to the amount of hype that they have and they stay healthy, like, I feel like that three years of them playing together is probably three national championships. It's a little bit obnoxious, but it, it probably is. Um, so that brings you to 14 already. So I feel like him ending with 14, maybe even 15, is pretty likely. People always like to speculate how long Gino's going to stick around and he always says when he can get the players that he wants and he still enjoys it, he feels no desire to retire. And 
when you get nine players in two years to commit, I feel pretty good in saying that he's getting the players that he still wants. And you can just tell from talking with him and our availabilities that he really enjoys coaching this team. And maybe not necessarily last year, because I think last year was kind of a grind for everyone in the program, but the last couple of years, I've kind of noticed that he just seems to really, really be enjoying what he's doing and coaching. And as long as his health stays up, which fingers crossed on that, obviously that's something you can never predict, but I don't see Gino deciding to hang it up anytime soon with all these players that he has coming through. I agree. I feel like, like you said, as long as his health hangs up, like I think, I mean, AZ signing today is probably a commitment to Gino being there until the end of her career. Um, so that's another four years after the season and then we'll see what happens then. But I don't think we need to be talking about Gino retiring anytime in the next couple of years. Clearly, rival coaches attempting to use Gino's age as a reason why players shouldn't go to UConn is not working. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> I remember that being a narrative, I think, when I started covering the team. So, like five years ago now, and it still has no sign of slowing up. So, it's just an amazing, I don't want to say turnaround because the program was never bad. But there were some lean years for recruiting, which I think is fair to say. You have Crystal's class, which came in as Crystal, Kyla Irwin, and Molly Bent. Kyla became somewhat of a role player her last two years, but in the NCAA tournament, well, assume if Kyla never got hurt as a senior, if that NCAA tournament got played, I really don't think Kyla would have seen a whole lot of minutes. Crystal was really the only player that came out of that class that was a consistent contributor. You go the next season, that 2017 class, as I mentioned, Megan Walker's the only player to make an impact with that. And really, she only had two seasons where she was in the rotation consistently and saw minutes every game. The 2018 class, Olivia Nelson Adota and Kristen Williams, both really, really good players. But again, that's only two players. Aubrey Griffin and and Anna Makarat, Again, both really good players, but just two of them. So there hasn't been depth on this team for a while. And while UConn's been getting that top talent, it's usually only been one or two players. They haven't gotten the middle class of the roster a whole lot. And now I think that's starting to build out a lot more. And the talent level is just top to bottom, really, really strong. Like even the last or second to last players on the roster are better compared to like last year when the end of the bench really wasn't coming in unless it was a big, big blowout. Yeah, exactly. I think you've got a lot of players on these wrestlers that are going to get significant minutes. Um, I know people over the last few years, because of the way the depth has uh, been, have like criticized that, you know, this plays like his five, six players, but I don't think that's going to be the case with these rosters, right? Like it's pretty obvious just looking at them that you're going to have more than a six person rotation. And um, and the end of the bench is still so strong that those players are going to get minutes regardless of if the score is, you know, within 10 or within 50. So it's hard to like look at these rosters and not just be really, really excited for the next few years. Right. Because there's so much room for error too. Like if maybe you could have two players in each of the next two classes basically transfer out and never do anything and you've still got a loaded roster. Like that's how deep it is. There's just so many options. Like I think next season, especially if Westbrook stays and even if she leaves, assuming the entire roster up top to bottom is strong and we'll see time in big games. 
I don't really know how you play 13 or 14 players in a rotation. That's a lot. And it kind of draws away from having your best players out on the court. Like you're not going to bench, let's say Kristen Williams for a freshman guard who hasn't necessarily proven herself, but then how many minutes can you split up between that fourth and fifth spot in the rotation when you have six or seven players vying for that. So I think for the first time, if again, if things work out the way we expect them to for the first time in a while, Gino's going to have a lot of trouble figuring out his rotation. Yeah. Which is exciting, right? Because I mean, it's oh, yeah. great to know what it's going to be, but it's more exciting to be like, well, who's going to get the most minutes on this team and not having any idea. Uh, I feel like even a little, not so much this year, but even a little bit this year, you can already kind of figure that out where I think that's just not going to be the case going into next year and the years after. And it's going to change a lot throughout the season too. So like, let's just look at this year for an example. So they have 10 players. I think just for argument's sake, let's just say the five upperclassmen are going to be the starters. So Nelson, Adota, Avina, Kristen, Aubrey, and Anna, that's your starting lineup. Then you've probably got Paige coming off the bench as a guard. You've got Aaliyah coming off the bench as your top big backup. Nika's probably going to get some minutes at guard. And then it's harder to tell with Piath and Mir, but just in terms of sheer numbers, those two probably aren't going to see the court a whole lot and are probably going to be limited to role, to be role players at best. When you look at it, you add in four new players, all of whom are pretty highly rated by the recruiting services, and that problem only compounds. So you've got that problem, and then you push it into the next year. So let's talk about the 2021 class because you've got four pretty highly rated players by the recruiting services. Obviously, FUD is number one. And at least in terms of the time of their commitment, I've heard about AZ way more to this point than I had heard about Paige before she committed. Not that Paige came out of nowhere, but I think the hype around AZ has been building for a longer time. And ESPN released an article on AZ when she committed. It kind of detailed the process of her coming to UConn. There's this quote from Steph Curry. Steph Curry, two-time MBA. NBA MVP, Steph Curry on AZ. She can be going full speed, stop on a dime and have like a feathery release. I'm talking about her jump shot. I think she has more of a textbook jumper than anyone I've ever seen. Maybe Clay Thompson and AZ FUD. You go Ray Allen, Clay Thompson, AZ FUD. Textbook. You would teach somebody how to shoot with their form. Ray Allen, Clay Thompson, and AZ FUD. Two of the greatest shooters in NBA history and a kid who hasn't played a single college basketball game. That is insane. Yeah, it's just like, how do you like read that quote and not just get so excited to watch her play at UConn? I don't know, but this is insane. I try to like think of other things. It's just like she won the Gatorade National Player of the Year for high school as a sophomore. No one's ever done that before. Stewie didn't do that. Like, this is like an impressive. She probably would have won it last year if she wasn't injured. Paige won it, but it might have been easy again. And I'm sure she has the favorite to win it this year. Like, it's just absolutely insane, like, how good she is on the high school circuit. So I can only imagine. And just to kind of wrap up AZ with that story, a couple other notes. So there were kind of different reports floating around about who her final schools were. Sports Illustrated had it as UConn and UCLA. Her CT had it as UConn, UCLA, Maryland, and Louisville. ESPN again said that it was just UConn and UCLA. So it seemed like, I don't know, from the tone of the article, the way I read it, it seemed like AZ might've actually been leaning towards UCLA, but 
there was apparently a big conversation with her family that kind of delved into an argument. And what her dad said was that if you go to UCLA, I can't just jump on a plane and come watch you. And he played at American in DC and grew up in the area. So when he played at American, his parents could come to pretty much all his home games. So UConn's not exactly close to where she lives outside of DC. It's about six hours, but that's still pretty doable. And then you take into consideration the fact that UConn plays at Georgetown. They play at Villanova in Philadelphia, who's not that far away. Seton Hall, St. John's in the New York area. Again, not super far. And then all the games at UConn. So it seemed like being able to play close to her parents where they could come and see a lot of the games played a pretty important role in her decision. And AZ had visited UConn a couple times, uh, one of which was last season during the Notre Dame game, along with Paige, Mary DeBerry, and Carolyn Ducharme. Apparently, she was also up on UConn's campus on Paige Becker's birthday back on October 22nd. So it seemed like that day was one of the ones that also kind of locked in her decision. So, And then I should also mention that someone tweeted at Alyssa Oriama, Gino's daughter, that your pops did it again and she said, I mean, I would say it's more due to Paige with a w- winky face. So Paige Beckers, UConn's newest recruiting coordinator. <laughs> Worth mentioning she was at that Notre Dame game too that AZ was at last fall. I feel like we've been waiting for this commitment since that game. I remember being at, like the post-game presser and it took, I don't know, it was probably like over an hour before Gino actually showed up to do the press conference because obviously he was talking to his recruits, but <laughs> finally here. Also the same press conference that after Gino said about Paige Beckers, someone asked, what are you going to be saying or saying about her at the end of next year? And he said, I'm probably going to be saying she's the reason why we won a national championship. So really keeping expectations under control here in stores. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So then from AZ, we go to Caroline Ducharme, local kid out of Massachusetts, she was rated at like number 41 when she committed to UConn ESPN switched around their recruiting services. She's jumped up all the way to number five, six foot two guard can shoot really well, had a lot of interest from power five schools from a handful of different things I've read. I've seen this comparison over and over again to Katie Lou Samuelson, which I guess the mold of a bigger guard that can shoot really well. Katie Lou Samuelson had, speaking of shooting forms, had one of the best shooting forms that I had ever seen. If UConn can get a player like AZ Fudd and then a clone of Katie Lou Samuelson in the same class, that alone is pretty, pretty good. Oh yeah. I mean, we all saw how well Lou's career went, even though she didn't win any national championships after that freshman year. They were so close in all of those seasons. It was just I think her sophomore year, she was All-American, and then junior year as well. I think senior year, too. I think she was an All-American all three years, which I don't mean to disrespect her. That senior year one was a little iffy. But, um, yeah, three-time All-American is nothing (laughs) to sniff at, even if she only has that one national championship, which every single program in the country wishes they had a player that they could say, oh yeah, she was a three-time All-American, but she only had one national championship. <laughs> Just UConn problems, only one national <laughs> championship. Um, but yeah, then obviously drafted fourth overall in the draft. Um, if they can replicate, if it's even close to that, with everything else that's already on this roster, that's a huge win. Yeah, a- absolutely. Then you've got a Mary DeBerry, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. 
I hope I hope that's the way to pronounce it because that's just a really fun name if that's yeah. the case. <laughs> she is a six five center out of Buffalo. Again, the comparison that I've seen a handful of different evaluators make is just Olivia Nelson Adota, a big who's tall, strong, really good defensively, but is athletic enough to get around the court. And from what it sounds like, DeBerry might have a better outside game than Nelson Adota. So if she can come in and be able to hit and knock down jumpers, that adds a huge, huge new dynamic to UConn's offense. For sure. There's very few players in the country that can like kind of play that inside game and also hit outside threes. You don't really see it much at all in the college game. I think like in the WNBA, the like closest player I can think to that can do that is um, Jungle Jones does it for the Sun. She's a great three-point shooter and also a great center. But obviously 6'5", a lot of size, something that UConn generally I think has a little bit more trouble recruiting is size. A lot of the bigger kind of forward center players end up going to programs like Baylor that kind of operate around them. But having her and then adding that kind of different dynamic of being able to shoot outside as well as play inside just changes up a lot of what they can do with the offense. Yeah, absolutely. And then the final player in the class, Sailor Poffenbarger, she was the first player to commit. She's out of Maryland, rated as the number 30 prospect in the 2021 class. I haven't seen a whole lot on her, but she seems to have a similar skill set to Ducharm. I read today that she could be a very, very good role player, like a Kelly Ferris type. So you need those players on national championship teams. And as I've said numerous times before, UConn hasn't had that middle class of the roster the last few years. They haven't really had a role player who can contribute consistently, even if they're not one of the stars of the team. I think we saw it a little bit with Kyla Irwin last year, but really that was to a much lesser degree. So for sure, like you said, it's been missing from the rosters lately. I feel like you kind of had it back in 2017, 2018, or, or sorry, 2016, 2017 with Sanaya Chong kind of played in that spot a little bit. But mm-hmm. it's been a while since there's really been a player that's kind of in that role. Like you said, Kelly Ferris was obviously went, played a couple seasons in the WNBA. Chong was drafted to the WNBA. Um, you kind of, Kyla was close, but not quite at that level. She is playing professionally abroad, but uh, not kind of at that WNBA level. So if they can kind of start producing some players in there that are going to be second, third round picks in the W, it's going to add a lot of depth to the roster. And then just to jump into the 2022 class a little bit, UConn has one commitment so far, Azuna, nicknamed Ice Brady. She's a 6'3 center out of the West Coast. Again, seems to be one of those centers that can kind of bounce out and stretch the floor a little bit, which if UConn can start getting players with height that can be a little more dynamic than just being a back-to-the-basket player and kind of make defenses work a little more, that just on top of all the talent that we've talked about so far just makes them so, 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 so much more difficult to defend. Agreed. And then when you look at like the commitment so far for 2022, it's it's very open. So I'm sure there's going to be more additions there. But I mean, when you pull up their, the ESPN rankings, I think there's like three commitments in the top 20, maybe five or six in the top 50. So a lot of people have to decide in that class too. Right. And I'm obviously not going to tell UConn staff how to do their recruiting, but I could see this being one of those classes where UConn has so many players that some of the other top players might be a little hesitant to come to UConn where they might not see the court a whole lot early in their career. They might be kind of buried on the depth chart. 
So it could be a year where you have someone like Brady and then you bring in a couple of the lower level prospects, the buy low, sell high type players that could, like Poffenbarger, fill the roles and help the teams in, not to use the cliche, but help the team where you don't really see it on the stat sheet. That would definitely make a lot of sense, especially just considering when you look at this roster, it's already so full for that year. I mean, there's room, but there's not a ton of room. And if players want minutes, they're not going to be heading to UConn right off the bat. Depends what they want, I guess. Like, if you want to win national championships, well, you're in a pretty good spot to do that. Right. <laughs> you're probably not winning one your fresh or your sophomore or freshman or sophomore year anywhere else. But um, if you don't, if you're you know looking to get more minutes, they're not going to head to UConn with that lineup. Right. And then obviously things can still change. We don't know who could potentially transfer. They currently have three scholarship spots open, but with the amount of players they brought in the last few years, UConn could also afford to take a smaller class and start to pare the roster size down just a little bit. Because I think kind of the target range you want is 12, 13 players where you've got a solid group, but then you've also got a couple spots that you can use on developmental players, such as PF Gabriel. We're going to take a break and go to some ads, but before we do that, to wrap up this section, we've just got a couple quotes from AZ Fudd. So she said on her Instagram live, quote, I have a feeling we're going to win multiple national championships in our future. And then in the ESPN story, they asked her how many championships does she want? And she said, well, obviously four. So another thing to get excited about. We'll be right back. And we're back. If you're enjoying the show so far, last week we had a really fun interview with Meg Como, also formerly known as Meg Pattison. She played at UConn in the late 80s, early 90s, was an assistant for the Huskies, and has been the analyst for CPTV and SNY for all UConn women's basketball games since. It's a really entertaining interview. She tells some great Geno stories, just has a really good perspective on the program because very few people have been around it as long as she has. So go check that out. That was last week's episode. You can find the podcast wherever you're listening to it now or on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. As far as I'm aware, pretty much all the major podcasting apps. So go take a listen to that. So moving on from some of the AZ FUD news, we just want to touch on some of the other news that has come out since we last recorded. So on Tuesday, the AP Top 25 was released. The preliminary Top 25, UConn came in at number three. They were behind South Carolina, who's number one, and Stanford. No word on if Don Staley is going to attempt to claim a national championship for being the preseason number one. Next few spots after that are Baylor at number four, Louisville at number five, and Mississippi State at number six, all of whom UConn is going to play this season, assuming that UConn and Mississippi State both win their first game in the Mohegan Sun tournament coming up. DePaul comes in at number 20 and Marquette and Tennessee both received votes. So I feel like it's pretty much what we expected from the top 25, right? Yeah, it's definitely what we expected. I think UConn at three feels about right. Um, I think Howard Michael said in his kind of Title IX newsletter that came out this morning that he's not convinced that Stanford totally deserves that bump over them. But I think in general, when I look at the top 10 here, I think all these teams have a lot of good pieces, but also a lot of question marks. So I think kind of... If we're going to see a lot of changes this year. I think probably more changes than we typically see. It doesn't feel like there's like a three, fourteen group of elite teams to me here. It feels like there's more of a group of 10 that could kind of all be final four contenders. And obviously that will probably pare down as we start to see them on the court, but um, it's going to be an interesting season. 
Yeah, I agree. I think it makes sense, even with all my rants against South Carolina over the years. I think South Carolina at one makes number sense just because they were the number one team last year. Return a lot of key pieces, not all of them, but a lot of them. And there's really no other clear favorite. Like you said, I just the entire group of these elite teams all feels like they have some flaw to them, or they at least have some question that they need to answer to really establish themselves as a contender. And I think it's going to make the beginning of the season really exciting. I don't think it's totally out of the realm of the possibility that UConn loses to Mississippi State in their second game and then also loses to Louisville just because they have such a young roster and they have so many questions that they need to answer. But then again, they could win all three of those games handily. It's just, I feel like it's pretty much just a toss-up and whatever happens in the beginning of the season, we said this last week, but... I don't think whatever happens in November and even December is going to be a really good indicator of what things look like down the stretch in February and into the NCAA tournament in March or whenever the NCAA tournament is. And I think that was the case last year. It really took until the new year and later in January for Baylor, Oregon, and South Carolina to really establish themselves as the go-to top three teams in the country because all three of those teams had bad losses early in the year. And then Baylor had a bad loss in the big 12 tournament. But I think it'll be like last year where UConn was number one at one point in the season and they were number six at one point. So there's going to be a lot of volatility to these rankings. And I think it'll just be a fun season to watch with a lot of upsets. I definitely agree. I think it's like important to say like now that like there's zero reason to panic if UConn starts the season one and two, like that is totally fine for that to happen. I the Louisville game especially feels like a total toss-up to me. I think kind of UConn and Louisville are in very similar places right now with their rosters, what they're bringing back, what they're bringing in. Um, it's, that game's going to be super interesting. I don't know that I feel like the Mississippi State one is going to be as close. I think it's going to be a good game. I do feel like maybe Mississippi State just has a little bit more question marks because they've got some roster changes with transfers. They've got a new coach. Um but really for all these teams, I think then you also add in the factor that this hasn't been like a normal off season. So teams are not going to be quite at the point that maybe they typically are kind of starting off the season. Practice has been going for a while, but there's been a, kind of across basketball, there's been some disruptions. Obviously their preseason looked way different this year. So it's going to make things a little bit more interesting at the start. I should mention that if you hear some noise kind of in the background, there's a leaf blower going directly <laughs> outside my window. So there's nothing I can do about that. Yeah, for sure. This is also the point of the season where all the watch lists for the various national awards are coming out. UConn so far landed a player on every single one of the awards that's come out so far. Paige Beckers is on the Nancy Lieberman Award, which goes to the best point guard in the country. Crystal Dangerfield was a finalist the last two seasons, but didn't win it either time. Sabrina Ionescu won it three years in a row. Four different players from UConn have won the award seven different times. Sue Bird won it in 2000 and 2001. Diana Taurasi won it in 2004 and 2003. Renee Montgomery won it in 2009. And Mariah Jefferson won it in 2015 and 2016. I think Becker's being on the Lieberman Award is interesting, but really all these watch lists are doing is just building hype for the season and getting people excited. So I don't think the players that are on it are necessarily a great indicator of what they're going to do this season. Right. I would agree with that. And she's not the only freshman on the list. Um, Haley, Haley Von Leith from Louisville's on there. And I believe there's one other freshman on the list as well. But like you said, and it doesn't really set the tone for 
kind of what who the, who's going to actually win the award. Players can play their way on and off of that list at any point throughout the season. So it kind of provides a good table of like who to be looking out for, but that could change a lot come March. And Kristen Williams made the Ann Myers Drysdale Award, which goes to the best shooting guard in the country. She also made the watch list last year. Katie Lou Samuelson was a finalist in 2018, didn't win it, made the watch list the next season, and wasn't even a finalist the next year. I don't think there's any surprise there. Yeah, no surprise. It's a stiff pull competition. There's a lot of good shooting guards out there this year. But um, yeah, no surprise that she's on that list. And she should be on it kind of till they make their final decision. Yeah, I agree. Like you said, it's a tough group. But honestly, I think Kristen Williams, I feel very, very good that she's going to be UConn's All-American this year. I don't have the exact number in front of me, but UConn's had at least one All-American for a long, long time now. And I would, if you could put money on such a thing, I'd put it on Kristen Williams just because I think she's ready to really have a breakout year. And I think Olivia Nelson Adota, even though, she could have a really, really good year. I'm not sold on her being an All-American this year. Plus, there's a lot of good centers in the country that make might make her tough, make it tough for her to find her way on there. But I'm expecting pretty big things out of Kristen. Agreed. Yeah, I would expect her also to be UConn's All-American for the year. I mean, things would go a lot of ways, but it feels like she's ready for that. Here's where things get a little interesting. So the Cheryl Miller Award goes to the top small forward in Division I basketball. Aubrey Griffin is on the list. It's no surprise. Also on the list, Avina Westbrook, who, from what we know, is very clearly a guard and is also not just a guard. I think it, she's pretty confidently a point guard from what we know. So I have no idea how she ended up on the small forward list here. Yeah, I don't understand that either. I mean, when I look at the list and just in the broader sense, I have a lot of gripes with where they put different players. I mean, even Ionescu winning the Nancy Lieberman for, you know, two years, she played the two at Oregon. She never played point guard at Oregon, but, you know, whatever. I think it comes down to two things. I think one thing is that, like, when these, or especially the Nancy Lieberman Award was created, the other ones are newer. But you had position awards on the men's side for a while, like, it was more, less of a positionless game. Now so many teams just play like positionless basketball, so it makes it harder to slot players into the right spot. But I think the other part is just there's not the data in the women's game. When you like look at Ken Palm, you can go see kind of the depth for every team and where they play and who's, who plays point guard the most, and you can easily kind of figure out who should be slotted into what position where you don't have the data on the women's side. So it makes it a little bit more challenging unless you're watching all of these team games all the time and know their lineups it, it's hard to slot them in the right spot that doesn't really excuse the small forward for Avina Westbrook because that just makes no sense but I think in general my other gripes with the watch list that's kind of what's going on there in that thread can I give a plug to her hoop stats who Megan works for this is not an ad this is me just saying <laughs> it they have an awesome service for women's basketball fans with a bunch of stats advanced stats really good for any women's basketball fan or writer to check out. Yeah, I'll piggyback on that and say that we're releasing new NCAA data in the near future. Don't have an exact date yet, but we're going to have some pretty cool stuff up there for this season. So be sure to look Ooh. out for that. Very exciting. Yeah, that's her hoop stats. Also, just back to the small forward thing. Gabby Williams won the award in 2018. She was absolutely not a small forward by <laughs> any stretch of the imagination. Yep, exactly. And I feel like it hasn't come out yet, but while we're talking about these watch lists, we might as well talk about the one for the centers for the Lisa Leslie Award, because I think it would be pretty baffling if Olivia Nelson-Odota is not on that list. So we can expect to see her there as well. 
Yeah, I agree. Was she on it last year? She was on the list last year, um, but Aaliyah Boston from South Carolina won that award as a freshman last season. I think Nelson Adota could very easily be a finalist for that, but it's probably going to end up being either Boston or former UConn commit Charlie Collier battling it out for that one. Yep, I would definitely agree with that take. One more watch list to get through. Back to the recruits. So the Naismith High School Trophy watch list is out. Four UConn commits are on it now. Amari DeBerry, Caroline Ducharm, Sailor Poffin, Barger, and now AZ Fudd. Oh, and Azuna Brady. So five players. Um, last year, Paige Beckers won it. Megan, do you know how many UConn players have won it all time? I don't. I'm sure it's a high number, though. I'm going to say like 15. Is that too high? I don't know. I don't too know high. how long. Yeah. Oh, it has been around. Um, let's go 10. Yep. Yep. 10. Nailed it. It is, along with Beckers, Kristen Williams, Megan Walker, Katie Lou Samuelson, Brianna Stewart, Kalina Mosqueda-Lewis, Maya Moore, twice, Ann Strother, Diana Taurasi, and Tamika Williams. What happened with Tamika Williams? That's I see her as a number one recruit all the time, and she wasn't even like the third best player in her recruiting class. Yeah. In fairness, she did come in with Sue Bird, Asia Jones, and Swin Cash, but still. I guess just goes to show that you can't always trust the recruiting ranking. So that's why we keep caveating everything we say about the incoming recruits. <laughs> yep, exactly. Great, great example there. Last bit of news. We said last week that UConn's not going to ha- allow the general public into games at Gamble, but friends and family of players and coaches will be able to ha- get tickets. At Mohegan Sun Games, nobody's going to be allowed in, so not even friends and family although I think media might be allowed in, not that anyone cares about what we can do, but. <laughs> we so. care, so that's <laughs> Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's going to do it for this episode of Chasing Perfection. Be sure to check out the UConn blog for all our coverage of AZ FUD's commitment. We've got just a, a new story on that. And then I've also got a column coming out later today on the UConn Women's Basketball Weekly. So make sure to subscribe to that as well. You can follow Megan on Twitter at Megan Gower. You can follow me on Twitter at Daniel V. Connolly. Megan, I'm putting you on the spot here. Do you know how many days it is until the season starts? So the official season starts two weeks from today and then add another three days to that for UConn basketball season. So really close. 17 days away. You got anything else? Uh, Wear a mask so that the season doesn't get canceled. (laughs) (laughs) That'll do it.